You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy hump day, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Hopefully, your week is smooth so far and uh, no no big troubles. Um, because it's March, I thought, let's talk about shed hunting, right? And today's guest, his Instagram name is Shed Crazy. His name's Ben. He lives in Utah. And he is basically what his name is. He's Shed Crazy. He's crazy about shed hunting. And uh, we're going to talk about how he makes a living shed hunting or part of the living uh, shed hunting, uh, how he goes about shed hunting out west, picking up uh, elk and mule deer antlers. And uh, we get into a whole bunch of different, uh, uh, you know, a whole bunch of different topics about shed hunting and uh, and then how that transitions into the hunting season for him and how many months out of the year he gets to shed hunt and uh, how he uses maps to uh, you know locate uh, good areas to shed hunt all that stuff we talk about in the uh, podcast um, I came across his Instagram feed when I'm searching for new people like I always do I just kind of flipping through it flipping through it and I uh, I see this giant red bearded man and i know guys instantly with red beards are more badass than regular men so i'm like okay let me see what this guy has to say and his videos if you don't get it if you get a chance go watch some of his little instagram videos he's hilarious he kind of jabs a little bit at uh, stereotypes within uh, the quote-unquote hunting industry and uh, it's just fun if that makes sense. So that's what today's podcast is about. So also today I was sitting at work and I was thinking about mature bucks and how they move. And I was like, you know what? I wonder what the first trail camera picture I had of a mature buck in shooting light was. So uh, I go to Deer Lab uh, and if you don't know what Deer Lab is, go check it out. Um, it's uh, basically a website that holds all your trail camera pictures and extracts information, uh, date, time, wind direction, moon phase, temperature, a whole bunch of other stuff. 
long story short, what I was doing was um, I was flipping through all these trail camera pictures and believe it or not, the first shooting light mature buck I had on trail camera, when I say mature, I mean something four-year-old or older, was October 28th at like seven in the morning and uh, might have even been before seven in the morning and it was real early and that was the very first picture of a mature buck and that kind of made me think a little bit how much time am I wasting in the early season let's say the first three weeks of you know October trying to locate these bucks to shoot um, if I'm just wasting my time and putting uh, unwanted pressure on the properties that I hunt. So it's definitely something to think about. Uh, if you get the opportunity, go to deerlab.com slash nine fingers. And uh, by using that URL and signing up, you will receive a free 30 day trial period. So uh, definitely go check that out. Now, let's get into today's podcast with Shed Crazy Ben. All right, on the phone with me now is Ben, and he is his Instagram name is Shed Crazy, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce your last name, Ben, so I'll let you you pronounce it. Yeah, my last name is Dedamonte. That's a pretty uh, pretty common fear people have of attempting the pronunciation on that one. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm horrible with last names. I think I could even screw up Smith or my own last name, Johnson. <laughs> Johnson. So I always like to have the other person do it. But uh, before we get into this podcast, um, why don't you tell us where you live and what you do for a living? Okay, I born and raised in uh, southern Utah. I still live here to this day, and um, I live actually in the very, very south end of the state, almost on the Arizona border, a little town called Hurricane pronounced hurricane spelled hurricane and uh i am a full-time shed hunter that's all i do for a living i've been doing it for uh, just a couple months now before that i just worked for the school district down here gotcha so you recently transitioned full-time into this shed hunting right yep just a couple months ago cool cool that's uh that's a dream i often have not necessarily about just shed hunting all day, every day, but, you know, being able to go hunt or fish or shed hunt or take a nap, whatever. Yeah. Just yeah. Do, do whatever. Um, I, I don't even know where I'm going to like how to, how to kick this off. I'll just kind of give everybody a brief intro of how I came to know you. And basically it was my daily devotions to Instagram where I, for about 30 minutes, I just scan people I don't know. And I came across your quote unquote antics, uh, on the, uh, on Instagram and, uh, realized that you have a sense of humor, which is cool. And you're a diehard. Um, so tell me when did you become a diehard shed hunter? Well, I've been shed hunting kind of off and on for, you know, probably 10 or 12 years or something, but I really got hardcore into it probably five or six years ago. And I just uh, had a, a roommate that I lived with for a while that I thought he was really into it and he thought I was really into it. And we started shed hunting together all the time. 
and uh, we both kind of just got into it heavy and started going every weekend and and i just fell in love with it got fanatical about it i have some brother-in-laws that have been doing it for 20 plus years and they're just you know nuts that's all they think about and i kind of just got the obsession from them a little bit caught the bug nice so as far as shed hunting is concerned is is this something that you do all year around or are there times where you lay off wait for them to drop or because right now here in iowa is prime time for shed hunting right you got the you know they can fall just about any time after the season's over but right now is when a majority of them have dropped is there a particular time of year that you are in you know out and about all day every day um, I'm pretty much out and about a few days a week all year round, just depending on this time of year. The elk where I live are just barely getting ready to drop. They're uh, the first ones right now are starting to drop. So this time of year, we try to lay off them a little bit and uh, maybe not be like right where they are. We'll just kind of go out and scout them, watch them from a distance and see. Um, the deer, for the most part, have dropped. But um, I don't know if you heard or not, this year they put a shed ban on in the state of Utah. So right. I've been most sitting and twiddling my thumbs and drive around and look at them and stuff so you can't go hiking for them so it's kind of uh kind of killing me right now so explain to the listeners why there is a shed band in utah right now well the theory is um from the division of wildlife is that the animals are more vulnerable this year because of deeper than normal snows um, and they think that if people go out and hike around on the winter range, that they're going to disturb the animals and they're going to run them ragged and, and they're going to have a higher percentage of winter kill. But I think it's uh, I think it's a little bit different of an agenda on their part. I think they're just looking for a reason to regulate it. And I think that in the future, you'll see the season probably every year and possibly, I don't know, maybe like tags and licenses and stuff. Oh, really? But yeah, that's just, that's my, that's a conspiracy theorist in me, the anti-government guy probably. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense but, uh, though, you know. They're always trying to get as much money out of the out of us as possible. Um, is that okay? So, so around the Midwest, I feel that shed hunting isn't as quote unquote crazy as out there, right? I mean, right. people go for walks, and you know, if there's a big buck, you may have some guys get you know you know, maybe hopping fences or looking for a particular mm-hmm. buck waiting for it to drop. But out there, I I hear these stories about, you know, basically lineups and then a gun goes off and then horses, guys on horses are taking off into the mountains looking for sheds and, you know, guys are backpacking yeah. all day and, and guys are camping out there waiting for specific animals to drop. Have is Is that in any way accurate? It is to a degree. It depends where you're at. Like I like to, I shed on all over the Western U.S. Um, but in some places, like in Wyoming, where they'll do the elk refuges and uh, they'll have openers for them. Like let's say, like May first, they open in the shed hunting. They'll have lines and lines of people, hundreds of people lined up. And as soon as I think it's at seven a.m., you can go. Then it's basically what we're talking about. There'll be guys that are sitting there glassing them up for a few days before, and they'll run out there on their horses or on foot as fast as they can and go gather them up. It's kind of uh, it's kind of crazy how much is blown up in popularity. It's definitely a competitive thing, yeah. and it's a lot. Uh, it takes a lot more. I don't know. It's a lot harder than people think it is too. There's a lot of days when we're not out shed hunting, especially for elk antlers. We'll we'll walk 15 to 20 miles a day sometimes, just just hiking and looking for them. And I think I think the price of antler 
has had a lot to do with that. The, the value of elk antlers has gone up substantially over the past few years. Gotcha. So of all the sheds that you collect, are you, are you doing this for a profit or are you doing this just because you love shed hunting? Well, both. I, I mean, when I, when I had a full-time job, all I could think about was how bad I wanted to go shed hunting. That's all I could focus on. I was probably a terrible employee because all I did is, is just try to get out of work and go shed hunting all the time. <laughs> so now it's kind of an income stream for me because I do this full-time. So it is a big help to me to get, you know, have a few big sales a year and be able to bring in a certain amount, a few thousand dollars a year off of antler really helps what I'm trying to do. So it is, it is an income stream. In the past, I just used it for more of like a gear budget, kind of all the money that I could pick up and out that I would spend on optics or boots or whatever else I need to replace. And so it's kind of, but it's kind of more the revenue for me. Okay. So is there a, like a standard value of, I guess, antler, the, what an antler will sell for, um, I, I take it that uh, an elk antler is going to be more expensive than a, your average elk antler is going to be more expensive than your average mule deer antler? Yeah, well, the majority of them are done by weight. They're done by poundage. And okay. um, right, right now, elk antler is worth more per pound than deer, as well as, you know, obviously weighing more than deer. But um, it just kind of depends. Most of, you know, 95% of what you'd find is done by weight. And then when you get into the trophy class stuff, if you get into really big stuff, it can be worth more or really unique stuff, just depending on on what it looks like and that kind of stuff. But the majority of them, yeah, they just break it down to poundage. Um, brown antlers are worth a certain amount of pound right now. Brown elk are worth like 12 to $13 a pound. Um, and then there's usually two or three classes below that one called hard white, which is typically stuff that's sat out maybe one season. Um, doesn't have any cracks in it and has, you know, just a white color to it. And then there's usually a couple of grades of chalk, which are cracked up that way. So hard gotcha. white right now, I think it's worth eight or nine bucks a pound and chalk is worth like two, three bucks a pound in all counters. Okay. So when you, are you, are you shed hunting mostly on public ground or private ground? Uh, the vast majority is on public ground. I don't really have any private, private land okay. that I'm allowed <laughs> Gotcha. Um, so are there any rules or regulations about going onto public ground and taking antler like antlers off of it? Um, cause I know in Iowa there's certain, you know, if it's state ground, you're technically not supposed to, uh, take anything off of it, but people do it anyway. <laughs> right out here. It's not really regulated. Um, you can go out and pick up antler on anywhere in public public grounds there are some places that are like wildlife refuges and stuff like that that have specific rules but for the most part you can just go on any public land and go pick them up gotcha all right so as far as locating uh like sheds i when i go shed hunting like this weekend basically what i do is i just walk back and forth with my head down and grid properties trying to find uh, uh you know trying to find antlers you're dealing with way more acres to cover than than me. Is there any type of strategy or you know plan that you put into place before every walk? Oh yeah, there definitely is. We spend a ton of time on Google Earth finding areas you know that we think are gonna hold. You know, I've talked mostly about elk because that's what I spend most of my time doing. But we try to find places that have a certain type of feed. Um, and have a certain elevation, and then we look for slopes that face 
a certain way. South-facing slopes, typically a little bit better. Um, so we spend a ton of time on Google Earth, finding locations, and once we narrow it down, we'll kind of start with a state, and then we'll look for certain mountain ranges, and then we'll look for certain areas, units. We put hours and hours and hours of research before we ever hit the field. Yeah. And then once we get out there, we're looking for sign, um, looking for tracks, for rubs, for animals, obviously. And so we'll just hike into an area and just start kind of picking it apart. And sometimes it works, and sometimes you go walk 10, 15 miles and, and never pick up a thing. Right. So is there a, a time of year when you kick off your, uh, yeah, I don't know, whether you start by glassing herds and, and, you know, checking to see if they've dropped yet, or is there a time where you, you just, all right, it's this time of year, it's time to walk? Um, a little bit of both. We watch and watch the herds and watch the specific animals that we want to find through the winter. Um, and then right now is probably the time, well, right now, maybe the second week in March when we start hiking for elk sheds a little bit. That's still pretty early, but some of the bigger bulls will drop early. Right. Um, so, and then we go pretty much until, go really hard until the hunts start to come around, and that's the main thing. Like, middle of summer, it gets really hot in these areas where the bulls are dropping, the low elevation stuff. So, I'll start focusing more on bull hunting mule deer and elk. Yeah. Okay. So, you, it sounds to me like the 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 shed hunting window out west is really long. Is there a how, so how many how many weeks or how many months are you dedicating yourself actually towards shed hunting and not hunting? Um, I pretty much shed hunt starting a lot in November just because it cools off and there's not a lot of snow in the winter ranges. And so I'll go into those areas a lot and I should hunt quite a bit through November and December, just depending on how much snow is on the ground. Um, and then once starts, stuff really starts getting snowed in, um, I'll kind of lay off them, but I still should hunt probably three or four days a week through January, um, parts of February, all of March, April, May, and then June, July, I really get into scouting all the way through the end of the year, I get into more big game hunts. So it's just whenever I can't hunt elk and deer, I'll be out there looking for sheds. All right. So we, I went shed hunting uh, with a group of guys this week, and we found uh, a couple antlers that were drops this year but had already been chewed on. Um, do antlers get chewed up out there? In some places they do. Where I live in Utah, they don't don't shoot up too much. And then a lot of Nevada is really, uh, really good. It's like you can get pristine antlers. Um, my buddy and I, actually, my buddy found a really big deer antler that we know could be 11 years old, sat out for 11 years. And uh, it didn't have anything chewed on it at all, and it was actually still in fairly good shape, surprisingly. So it just depends a lot on the critters that are in the area, and then also the amount of snow and elevation. There's a lot of things that determine how fast you deteriorate. But we've been in some areas like places in Arizona where everything's just chewed to pieces, and even stuff that was dropped last year. So it just yeah. kind of depends what it's eating them. I don't know what it is. I knew does that start shooting them. Does that have a, a lot to do with elevation as well? I think it does. I think a lot of it does. The lower elevation stuff seems to get chewed a lot worse than the higher elevation. Okay. So kind of jumping all over the place here, when you find, let's say, a a really big antler, does that go to a collection, a personal collection, or are you looking to sell that as well? It depends. Most of them, I've sold everything pretty much that I found as far as that goes. I'll keep some deer antlers because they're not extremely valuable. They're really cool. Yeah. The elk are just usually worth too much. 
so I have a hard time hanging on to them. I'll keep them for a while, and I'll put them in my house or wherever and look at them and hold them for a little bit, and then when I'm done with them, I'll sell them. <laughs> All right. So then you're doing a ton. Uh, you co- you're covering a lot of ground every every shed season looking for these antlers. Are you also keeping like a journal or a mental note of all the locations? Let's say, Oh man, I just found a 400 uh, matching set uh, elk, you know, are you coming back there that spring or excuse me, that fall to try to find that elk and kill him as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. If I have the opportunity, you know, most of the units that I shed on a limited entry, Okay. It's really hard to get tags on, like the elk tags out here. Really premium elk tags you're going to pull on maybe every 10 to 15 years. So if I can get a tag for that unit, we'll be right back. But typically what happens is a friend will draw it or an acquaintance will draw it, and so we'll go out there with them and try to help them harvest. You know, right. like one of the big bulls that we found sheds off of. And that's, I don't know that it's ever happened. No, I can't even think that we've ever killed one, but I have sheds too. Right. Gotcha. Kind of a, kind of a stretch. Yeah. It, I mean, is maybe mule deer a little bit more so than elk, but cause I can look at an antler uh, over the years, you know, I, I run a lot of trail cameras too and say, okay, look at this care. Look at this antler characteristic. Um, do elk have those little characteristics that let's say like a mule deer or a whitetail does where you can say, Hey, I know this, but I know this elk from previous years. Yeah, they do. Um, a lot of the bulls will have something unique about them that you can tell from year to year that you're picking up antlers off the same animal. It just depends. Um, they change a lot too, though. I mean, deer and elk, I mean, deer do it as well. But you know, from year to year, they'll lose a drop time or they'll gain this. But yeah. it seems like it's harder with elk because there's not as many that have really unique characteristics. There are a lot of straight five point, straight six point bulls. But you can look at things like the curvature of the beam, or sometimes they'll have like a unique shape on the pedicle curve to the point so when you put multiple years off a bull side by side you can usually tell just because of the matching of the curve of the beam and things like that on them right okay now earlier you mentioned something about it it's starting to get a little uh competitive out there for you know looking for sheds is it is it to the point where guys are having to you know go to trailheads or at like three in the morning or camp out right in the middle of uh, the, the area so that right at the, right at break of dawn, they're on their feet looking for sheds. Well, maybe like in the areas with openers, right? The, the pressure that we typically see, like in the open areas that don't close down is just, you'll just be running in the boot tracks all day long. There'll just be a lot of guys out there hiking those wintering areas and a lot of guys beat me at antlers. I even, I had a friend of mine a few years ago who, was up on a high point and he was glassing for elk antlers and he glassed down into this big basin and found a match set just through a spotting scope and so he got all the stuff together and walked down there and by the time he got there there was another guy who'd already found him and was picking him up and it was it as a matter of like 15 minutes so you're just trying to beat you know you're trying to beat everybody who who's out in the hills you know just trying to get there before they do right so you know a lot of guys are die hard you know, whether it's you know whatever species it is they're, they're die hard hunting the animal right and um 
do you do you share that same passion for actually hunting the animal that, that you do it seems for for shed hunting as well oh yeah 100 percent. i was a i was a hunter you know doing all kinds of long before i ever got into the shed i was thinking, actually the shed thing was probably born a lot out of my you know too long of an off season i, I wanted to hunt right. around and and the difficulty getting tags for those premium areas as well. I knew there were big bulls and, and big bucks in these good areas and just never had the opportunity to hunt them. So if we can go in and pick up the sheds, that's like the next best thing. Right, right. So if you had to choose between hunting and shed hunting, what would you pick? I don't know, man. That's a tough <laughs> call. I, uh, I don't know. Probably, I don't know how to answer that question. I probably would shed hunt, I guess, now because I can do it year round and uh, I can do it more on my own terms. I can go to any state and any unit, and right and just the freedom that comes with it, plus the, the financial benefit of it. It's hard to make money hunting, but you can always make a little bit picking up sheds. Right, right. Are there are there a lot of people doing what you're doing as far as collecting collecting antlers for resale? I think a lot of guys sell them. I don't think as many guys, well, there's a handful of guys that probably put in the time that I do. Yeah. Um, and I think, well, everybody sells them, whether they pick up 10 or they pick up, you know, a couple hundred a year. It just depends. Um, but I think that it's growing in popularity. Every year you're seeing more and more guys out there doing it who never had any interest in it before. And I think a lot of that comes from limited hunting opportunity. And also I think the guys on social media popularizing it is, uh, another big reason everybody's getting out there doing it gotcha gotcha well yeah it's a it's an activity that you really don't have to and this is a, this is an absolutely no way a slam to you but you're all you have to really be good at is walking right well yeah you gotta be good at walking and glassing you gotta be right. knowledgeable about the areas with the uh, right. winter in and stuff like that you like you do need a minimal set of skills you just go out there and start hiking yeah. It's just when you want to get really successful at it, if you want to get to the next tier and finding a lot, then you do right. to develop some skills that go with it. Gotcha. All right. So you spend a lot of time throughout the entire year um, shed hunting. Have you ever had kind of like any scary moments? Because I just imagine me going out there and, hey, look, my first uh, shed antler out west, and I go to pick it up, and there's a rattlesnake underneath of it or um, a mountain lion hiding in the bush behind it. Do you, have you ever had any, uh, like, scenarios like that? Yeah, I've had quite a few, actually. Rattlesnakes are, like, uh, they're pretty run of the mill. We run into them a lot. Um, I used to wear snake gators and gators they were too hot so i quit wearing them it's i don't know i've never had like that scary of an experience i've stepped right over them and right next to them but the worst experience i don't know worst it's cool now that it's over um the coolest experience i had like that was probably in arizona um i was just shed hunting up in this really ledgy rocky country and uh, i glass and looking through my binoculars at this ridge and i noticed there was a great big cave on the side hill so i walked over there because i wanted to look around and Wanted to see if there was any Indian writings or anything. And there's in that part of the country, there's tons of Indian stuff. So right. I'm looking in there, and I noticed uh, like a really big set of eyes in the back of this cave. On all sides, it was probably like a, I don't know, like a javelina or something in there. And so it was really dark, and I got on my camera to take a picture of it. And when the camera flashed, it looked weird. It didn't look like a javelina. 
I looked at the picture in my viewfinder and it was a black bear. <laughs> and it was probably, I'd say, 10 feet away from me. Oh, my Lord. Kind of bobbing back and forth and looking at me. And so I obviously turned around and took off running down the hill. And uh, I came back up because I wanted to see again. I actually got another picture of it from behind a rock. But that was pretty uh, pretty nerve-wracking to run into a bear like that. And I still have a picture. I think I put a picture on Instagram last year. But it's, it's a great big bear. You can tell from the photo it's a giant black bear. Man, and he had no nuts. other way out of that cave except right through me. So I'm just lucky he didn't <laughs> Didn't decide that I was worth taking out because it would have been game over, I'm sure. Gotcha. So you get to, uh, you get a, I mean, you're out in nature all day long. Um, do you find, do you find a lot of deadheads as well? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I pick up quite a few. Are those, do those have a resale value as well? It depends. Some states you can't pick them up. Like in Utah, there's a whole process you have to go through with the Division of Wildlife if you want to take one home. Um, gotcha. You have to call out an officer. They have to verify they died a natural causes or something like that, and then you can take it home. I never have actually found one worth going through that whole process for right. in Utah. But like in Arizona, you can pick them up and if the hide's gone off of the head, you can take them. Um, Nevada, I think you're supposed to call them in. So I'll find them right. quite a bit, but usually they're really old or small and they're not worth the hassle. Right. So one thing I really like about how you're running your shed crazy is these little live, these little videos that you do where it's basically, there's certain, certain things where it's like you are jet making a, a jab at something that is popular, but at the same time, at the same time, kind of douchey. Right. So, so why, why are you, I guess, doing that? Is that something that is just like, man, I don't, that is not the reason I'm doing it. So I'm going to make fun of it. Well, some of it, like a lot of it is as Instagram became more popular and as I got more popular than Instagram, I started noticing things about myself and other people that just cracked me up. I'm one of those guys <laughs> that loves to make fun of people. Right. In front of my buddies and, and all like, that's one of the funnest things for going out in the hills for me. You know, with my friends, and we just jab each other back and forth all day long and make fun of each other. So right. I started making these videos. It was actually my wife who suggested I do it. Um, I started the Instagram thing as a fairly serious shed hunting page, and that's what I did for a couple of years. And I wasn't really seeing the growth that I wanted to see, so she told me that I had to get comedy into it or else it was never <laughs> going to go anywhere. And uh, so I started I started making fun of people. And it's, all, it's all fairly good natured, you know. I just right. like to uh, poke fun and try to hit people in the ribs every once in a while. And I had a, a buddy come up to me the other day. He's like, dude, I love your stuff. I love laughing at it. But half the time, I never know if you're making fun of me or not. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly what I want people to think. Just kind of like be on their toes. Right. And, uh, but like most of the stuff that I poke fun at, it's just stuff that uh, I see in myself a lot of it. It's just like everybody has the potential to be a douchebag on the internet. So. Right, right. There's a lot yeah. of them out there. Yeah, it's easy to, to fall into that. Right. If, if you've ever been to the ATA show, if you ever get the opportunity to go to the ATA show or one of these quote-unquote industry shows, I say do it. And you'll have material for two or three years at least. Yeah. I, I, uh, I had the Western, you know, the Western Hunting Expo in Salt Lake was a really big show for, you know, the, the West basically. Yep. 
hilarious, man, to walk around there and see these dudes that, like, wore their best camo. They were just trying to show everybody how much they paid for their camo, and they walked around, like, wearing their supplement T-shirts with their bulging arms. It just cracks me up. Like, And they're mostly good dudes. They just think that they have to, to fit that image to be to be in the industry, I guess, and it just cracks me up, man. It just makes me laugh. Right. Well, I don't know if you know a guy named Ben Gatormson, um, but he's a, he lives out up in Montana and he's got a really badass red beard. And I see there is a red beard. I mean, you got a red tint in your beard and I have a red be- red tint to my beard as well. Do you think that guys with red beards are cooler than guys that don't have red beards? Oh, 100%. That's not even a question. I think right. that uh, the red beard just chooses who it thinks can handle it, you know? Like, it's not uh, it's not for everybody. Most guys probably would be ashamed, I don't know, maybe of it. But I think you have to have an extra manly face and skin like sandpaper to be able to, uh, to pull right. it off. Right. Yeah, you definitely just uh, described me. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, now as far as hunting is concerned, do you prefer – one animal over the other like elk or or muleys or do you hunt antelope at all um i did hunt antelope one time it was like shooting a big jackrabbit to me i didn't there's no uh no really thrill in that for me in, in a hunt where the biggest animal you're going to kill the two-point guarantee it just wasn't that exciting for me <laughs> but i uh i do love to hunt elk probably more than anything but i probably spend the most time hunting mule deer just because the opportunity out here is the greatest for me there. right right is it easier to get into uh, uh, a, a, a good zone in uh, in Utah as far as mule deer is mule deer is concerned? Because Utah, when I think of Utah, I think absolutely giant mule deer up in the Henry Mountains. Oh yeah, yeah. The Henrys are known worldwide. The Pontiacs known worldwide. There are some areas you know that produce the biggest mule deer in the world. Um, I live right here on the border of the Arizona Strip, so I'm you know as far as big deer go i'm in the middle of that trifecta right. um the general units where i live the units that are the easiest to get tags on produce 200 inch deer every year but they're still so hard to find they're so yeah. the guys that kill them consistently are just like wizards um yeah. so it really is it's a good place for trophy quality and opportunity but you still got to work your guts out it's just not going to happen right so with with that said, are are you a bow hunter or a rifle hunter? I mean, would you categorize yourself as either one, or do you do both? I do whatever tag I can get. I, I love archery hunting. I love hunting with the muzzleloader, and I love hunting with the rifle. So if it was my choice um, for the way the seasons are set up here, I'd probably hunt with a muzzleloader most of the time. Um, but I love archery. Well, so it just kind of depends on the. I don't know. It depends on the opportunity, basically. I just, whatever tag I can get, I'm going to take it and I'm going to try. Right. So is that something that you, you end up planning for? Uh, are you are you putting in for points, or is it a, a lottery system or a, a draw system where you put your name in every year and they're, you're, you could either get drawn your first year or you could get drawn never? Um, most of the, it depends on the union you put in for, but most of the state of Utah is broken down into two, basically two tiers. There's premium deer units and then there's what are called general deer units. 
Gotcha. So um, a premium deer unit, you're typically looking at drawing with like 10 to 20 bonus points. And then the general deer units you're going to draw with like sometimes zero points, just depending. All tree tags right. pretty much draw zero or one point. So I just look at the units that I like to hunt and look at the draws and see which is going to give me the highest, highest possibility of drawing. They also have what's called a dedicated hunter program here where you can draw. And when you draw, basically, you get a tag for three years. So you can only kill two deer during that three years. And then part of that program is you have to go out and do wildlife conservation projects and spend a certain amount of hours a year doing that. So I'll just do whatever. Whatever's going to give me the best shot at getting a tag where I want to hunt. Oh, that's cool. That's a cool uh, program. Is that something that's new, or is that something that they've done for a year? Um, They've been doing it for... I want to say probably 15 years in the state of Utah. I've been a member of it a few different times. Um, I just finished my last year of it. Last year was my third third year of that cycle. So, what um, uh, the, what do they have you do for? It, it's like volunteer work, right? Yeah, you just go out in the division, and have some different things planned. Um, like last year, I went out and planted feed um, for the animals in this this area that had been clear cut a long time ago. We just went. And planted bitter brush seeds um, just for winter feed for the deer. I've, I've built fences. Um, we've improved stream, streams and springs and um, guzzlers and stuff, just all kinds of projects like that. Okay. So what, um, you know, going back to hunting, you know, it, you you like hunting elk, but most of your time is spent uh, hunting mule deer. Are, are you concentrated or do you spend most of your time in Utah because that's where you live or are you traveling to hunt as well? Mostly as hunting goes, I've been in Utah just because I always had a job that limited my time off work, but this year is different. So I'm going to be traveling. I'll stay a little bit. Um, I plan on hopefully hunting Colorado and um, possibly Arizona this year, just depending nice. on how the dog and everything's come out. Okay. So are you... Do you put in uh, a lot of points and pre- like? Do you play that preference point game, like states like Wyoming and uh, Colorado? Um, I will be playing it in Colorado and in Arizona. Just build them up with some hopes of getting some premium tags down the road. I haven't so much in the past. Um, I've played them a lot in Utah. I've spent years building elk points right. um, to draw premium tags here, and I actually drew my premium tag in 2015. Um, so I'm restarting. You have a five-year waiting period before you can apply again. So I'll start building points again in right. 2020. So how many years did it take for you to draw that premium elk tag? Well, the first, I've drawn it twice. The first time I drew it, I drew with zero preference points. The first time I ever put in, I was 15 years old, and it was just an absolute fluke. Like, the odds of that happening are like 1 in 250. Right. And it was just, just straight luck. And so I killed a a big bull and ruined myself when I was like 15. Right. And then, uh, I took me after that, took me another 15 years to draw it again. Okay. And when you say premium, this is what the state of Utah, uh, the state of Utah determines that this zone is a, they're going to manage it for big elk, right? Yeah, that's right. They do have over-the-counter and general units as well, and those typically are tougher, um, you know, as far as getting an animal goes. But um, they're really doable. I have one right here close to where I live that I love to hunt, and we've had some 
success on it too. So you can, you can kill them on those. They kind of, you know, it just takes more work. Gotcha. So on this, uh, this premium hunt that you drew in 2015, was that a, was that a rifle hunt? It was a muzzleloader tag. If I wanted to draw the rifle, I probably would have had to wait another 10 years. So, so there's tags out there where people are, you know, it, depending on when they draw it, they may only draw it once in their entire life. Yeah, yep, there are. And Utah even has species that are designated once in a lifetime. Like, you only get to draw them one time. Like a lot of the sheep species, mountain goats, right. moose, buffalo, things like that. Gotcha. So, on this particular, you know, in 2015, on this particular elk hunt, um, had you had you shed hunted that area um, before? Uh, you actually hunted it and did you have a good idea of where the you know where the the elk were were living yeah i had shed hunted it not not extensively but just made some trips over there and i picked up some antlers and um but yeah i'd had a lot a lot of uh experience hunting there scouting it i had a lot of family members that had drawn that tag in the past that was probably the 10th or so tag between family members that we'd had on that unit and been there and hunted it, so I had a really good idea of the bull quality and where they were going to be. Yeah, yeah. So, talk to us, talk to me a, a little bit about that uh, that particular year. Um, were you, because it's a premium uh, a premium tag. Are there antler restrictions uh, on the elk that? Um, that you can actually kill or because it takes 15 years you know that you're you're gonna get a crack at a big one so you're passing little ones right probably the second one there's no restrictions on that at all you can you can shoot anything that you want and a lot of guys will shoot the first you know decent sized bull that they see i was pretty picky and pretty determined to hold out for a really big bull just because i had already killed a, a few big bulls in the past um, yeah so I wanted a giant or nothing. Um, and I spent that entire hunt really trying to kill one giant bull. Um, just a crazy big bull that he's actually only a five by six framed bull. He ended up scoring um, in the 390s. Somebody else actually killed him with a, a sportsman's tag, which is a statewide tag, um, yeah. about two or three months after the hunt. But I spent the entire time trying to kill that bull. I had him one time at 55 yards. Um, he was just coming through the cedars. I could see his antlers, but I couldn't see his body. He just shot at him, and then I had him one time at about 400 yards and just never got never got the shot I wanted on him, so I uh, had to let him walk. It's a hard right. So did you, were you successful that year on that tag? Yeah, I did, end up, I did end up killing a bull. I think it was like the second to last day of the hunt. Um, I had, <laughs> it was kind of a funny story because my wife um, was, well, she'd had a baby about two weeks before the hunt started. My second little boy was born. So she had a one-year-old and a two-year-old. And I left for two weeks. Um, I went to go hunt this this hunt while she stayed home with our little kids. And she'd had it. I mean, two weeks in, obviously, you can imagine she was done. So uh, I decided Was there another man in your house when you came home? <laughs> because my wife would be like, problem. you're done. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, uh, we're still getting over it, probably. <laughs> we might be okay now. Like, I don't know. I don't really talk to her about it. <laughs> Sweep it under <laughs> the rug. Yeah. So she uh, she called me. And she basically told me very kindly, very lovingly, that I need to kill an elk and get my ass home. Right. So uh, 
I, I decided that morning that I was going to do it. Second to last day, I got up, um, you know, early, went up into the area where we'd been seeing an elk. You know, this is an area with tons of bulls. I think I think I killed the 84th bull that I saw. So, I Holy cow. And, uh, yeah, tons and tons of elk. And uh, so I saw this little bull. He was a little five-by-six, and um, he was about 400 yards away, and I snuck in on him. And right when I got within range, he uh, got ran off of a, a herd by a bigger bull a bigger six point and so I snuck in and shot that six point at about 75 yards with my mother loader and tipped him over he was about a 320 class bull really heavy horned um pretty not what I was after but he was a really good looking bull and he tasted really good so yeah for sure kind of a, a bittersweet ending but it was good I got a freezer full of meat out of the deal and, and got to go home to uh to hear about it right <laughs> so what is a on a, one of those premium units? What uh, what is is a three twenty considered a good bull? I mean, for for one of those premium units, or are we talking oh, like four hundred or four plus? Well, four hundred is a rare bird. I mean, in the state of Utah, off of that unit, they probably kill five four hundred inch bulls ever, maybe ten. Oh, okay. So four hundred is a, a tough thing um, to to do, especially on that unit, but. I say most people with that tag probably kill a bull around 300 to 230 inches. Okay. Um, maybe less. It just depends. It's all kind of subjective because for me, that bull was a little bull and I was frustrated with him. But um, to most guys, they probably would have been pretty happy with that bull. Gotcha. So what was, did you have a specific goal as far as antler size going into it? What you wanted? Yeah, I wanted to kill a bull over 370. Um, that was my my goal. I have a another bull that I killed that's like he's low three fifties. Gotcha. And I wanted to get something that's significantly bigger than him. And, and I had the chance. I, I saw probably I saw two bulls that would have done that. I missed a bull that probably would have been three seventy five. So I, I had my chances. I just kind of kind of blew it. Right. Okay. So obviously, when you're you said you saw eighty some bulls uh, and only would you say four or five of them met that criteria that you were looking for yeah out of all the bulls i saw probably only two of them were over that 370 mark yeah yeah and um i think i saw probably like maybe four to five over the 350 mark which it's kind of it's kind of funny because most guys consider like a 306 point to be a really good bull in a lot of states that's that's what it is but this was just kind of like for me this is a true trophy, true trophy thing, and I wanted to break that that higher mark. Right, it's a tough thing to do. Right. So while while you, now you're starting over, you know, getting points for that uh, for that again. So in you know 20 years or 15 years, you're going to be able to go back and do it again. Can you still apply? preference points for other units in the meantime so you'll be able to hunt a premium unit between then and now nope nope so any elk premium units off the table pretty much gotcha there are some that i could draw with less points that aren't like top tier units um i could probably maybe draw like 10 years or something but i'll probably just hold out and draw that one i'll probably go do it with a bow actually this time Gotcha. And then, um, so your points now are kind of for one of those premium mule deer units. You're waiting yeah, to fill up one of those. Building. Yeah. That's what I'm building towards, I guess, but they're like 20 points and I don't know if I'll ever get there just because, 
you can only put in for elk or deer. You have to pick one or the other. And as soon as my waiting period over for elk, or for, yeah, for elk, I'll go right back to applying for them. So I'll probably never build enough deer points to draw one. Man, that's nuts. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So that that's why you're that's why you're thinking about going into a uh, other states. Yeah, yeah, just for the opportunity. You know, like, right. I I can pretty much find big enough deer on the general units here in Utah that that itch gets scratched. I guess I don't need to hunt one of those premium premium units. Yeah, but yeah, definitely go out of state to be able to hunt deer every year. Gotcha, gotcha. So. Let's see here. Are you are you gonna ever try to do any of those other type of hunts like a sheep or I think like a goat or anything like that? Yeah, I've been building sheep points for as long as I've been able to build points and so I should be, you know, twenty years away from a sheep tag. It just kinda depends. Like some of these units for sheep are given one and two tags in the whole state. Um like my grandpa drew a sheep tag been four or five years ago. It took him thirty seven years of applying. Holy so, Lord. Yeah, it just kind of, it's kind of a joke the way they have it set up. And then the other thing that, that hacks me off is that they'll put one or two tags in the draw and then they'll give four tags away to the Sheep Foundation to raffle off. So right. you'll end up getting, you know, four sheep hunters from out of state buying tags and hunting on these units and then they'll give one or two to the general draw. Just, you know. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. You, you would almost think it would be the other way. Yeah, I think that the, the general draw should have the priority and maybe raffle off one. No, especially if a, a resident, you know, had been putting in for 37 years. Yeah, it's like my uh, my grandma recently passed away, and she had max bonus points for Buffalo and the Henry's, and she never drew out. She'd been putting in for 37, 38 years, never drew. Wow. So if let's say my, my son, he isn't quite two yet. He turns two in April. Can... Can a guy buy preference points for a child so that in 30 years when he's, you know, 38 years old, um, he has the opportunity to go out and, you know, draw one of these these tags, or is that illegal? Is there a, a certain start point, like 18 years old? I think you have to be legal hunting age to be able to get points, which I think is 12 now in Utah, might be 14. They're always changing and making it younger. So the youngest, and that's nuts. So the youngest you would ever have to be is like 47 to 50 years old to even draw that tag. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You have a way better chance of like uh, going and trying to make a fortune somewhere and buying one and getting it in the general draw. It's going to take longer. I mean, really it would take you less time to save up and buy a hundred thousand dollars sheet tag than it would to, uh, when it would get it to the draw. Man, that's crazy. So once this all this snow st- starts to melt, and uh, is there a, a date where they're going to start lifting this uh, shed hunting ban for you? Do they have yeah, something April in mind? 1st. April 1st. Yep, April okay. 1st, they're dropping it. They're going to let us let us go out of it before then, because especially where I live in the south end of the state, there's no snow. We have zero snow, and there's antlers out there laying on the ground that, the, the guys who are obeying the law, they're just letting them lay there, and the guys that aren't going to get them. Right. So right, so right now, that is a, a ban for the entire state. Yeah, it's just a blanket ban. Huh? They don't. I, you would uh, assume that they would do it per zone. 
Yeah, they started out like that. They just named several counties that had, you know, sufficient snow. And down here, you know, nothing. They, they just, you know, they made it go statewide just because everybody was crying about it, I think. Yeah. So is it going to be a, a free-for-all when that, come April 1st? It should be, yeah. Hopefully I'll have something found by then that I can go pick up. And I know of a few antlers just laying around. And every once in a while I'll go look at them, check on them. So, so, so you literally can go and walk out there, right? You can still go out and hike, right? Yeah, hiking is fine. Snowmobiling is fine, whatever. But you can't, uh, you can't pick up that hat. Because the minute you do, the deer fall over the bed, apparently. According to the you can about that. Bending down and picking them up motion just kills a little deer right off. But it probably scares them, right? Yeah, it's got, it's got to be something, you know. They must know something I don't. Oh, that's comedy. That is comedy. I, uh, I love it when, uh, they, they make a rule like that where it's like, okay, well you can, uh, make, take a loud, uh, ATV out and go bananas or uh, a family can go out and hike, but a guy can't pick up an inanimate object and take it back to his vehicle. Right. Something that, and then they regulate it too, even though it's not even wildlife. So it's like, what's next? They're going to regulate deer turns. Can't pick them up. Can't look at back. It's just asinine to me. Like, I can't even tell you. Like, it's already illegal to uh, to harass wildlife. So what's the point of this law? Right. Just enforce the one that enforce people out there chasing them and, and forget about it. It's just typical, typical state of Utah. Right. Well, so what's the, uh, have you ever had a day where you're out shed hunting? And you found so many sheds that you've had to make a pile or like hide them in a bush or something like that. And then come back, make multiple trips back to the truck. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the best days, man. I lived for those days. We had uh, a day actually this past, that's been about three weeks ago where we went, um, exploring a new area for elk sheds. Um, and we got in there and just started cleaning them up. I couldn't believe it, but I had one day when my buddy picked up 20 and I picked up, uh, 14 or 15, um, you know, and they were all good sized antlers. So I had to do, I had to stash twice, I think, that day. And we ended up with 70 elk antlers for, you know, a two and a half day trip, basically. Jesus. So what's that? So awesome. what'd that make you? 70, 70 deer antlers, or excuse me, 70 elk antlers. What's that, uh, make you roughly when you go to sell it? I know, I know they all have different qualities, you know, about them, right. but. Between um, well, my share of it, which was 30, I found 30, my friend found 40. Um, I think I made 1700 bucks. Wow. That, not two days, and I think my buddy pulled about two grand to uh, maybe 2200 on his. Right. So between the two of us, you know, four, I'm almost 4000 bucks. Right. So are there, um, I, I, I'm just assuming there is, is are there guys out there that are like, Hey man, it's not cool to sell your shed antlers. We, you know, I go and find a whole bunch of them and then I just put them in my living room or, you know, like old yeah. school or, you know, different styles of shed hunting. Is there, is there ever a clash like that? Yeah. There's a lot of the OG guys that are like that, but it's like, Oh, I never sell them. Never sell them. It's all about the collections. Both of right. guys don't know how much they're worth because you could talk to them a little bit and they start realizing how much money they got sitting in their shed and then all of a sudden they're singing a different tune. Um, <laughs> so so they're only that way for a little while. Oh, yeah, or until they have a kid or their car breaks down or something and they're just like everybody else. 
You know, it's, right. some of these guys have, since you have $10,000 sitting in your shed, you know, or in the basement, it's, uh, it's going to come, there's going to come a need eventually and, and they're going to sell them. Right. There's guys that never will, I'm sure, but it's a lot of money just off sitting around doing nothing. Right. So in, uh, in the Midwest, you know, everybody dreams about shooting a, you know, a 200 inch whitetail. That's like, that's gigantic. That's a gigantic, yeah. very rare, um, whitetail. And my biggest shed I've ever found is a, I believe it's 74 or 76 inches for a, a whitetail side. But, uh, what's the biggest mule deer and biggest, uh, elk, whether it's a matching set or a single side that you've ever found? Um, the biggest elk that I found, I picked up like a month ago, maybe. And, um, I think I saw that shoot up and, and broken. So we kind of like had to estimate based on the points I had on the other side, but we came up with side of four or five. Okay. Um, on that set. And that's, um, that's probably the biggest. I found a handful like in the three eighties and stuff, but, um, um, let's see deer. My biggest deer sheds probably like same story old and kind of busted up and kind of had to guess on them but right there around like 90 inches and i have a handful of them in the 80s probably like 15 or so in the 80 inch range i found a really a big just a straight four point typical deer deer shed that scores 87 inches okay and uh, it was brown just fresh dropped that's probably the best gotcha so do you have a do you have any sheds at your house that you'll that are off limits for sale. They're just, they either mean a lot to you or they're unique or they're just big and you're never going to come off them. Yeah. Well, to a degree, like any of them, the right amount of money shows up. I'd probably let them go, but I have that, that deer shed I was talking about. I, um, I saw that buck the night before he dropped it and I actually went back in looking for the deer and found the shed in the road. Oh, um, wow. That is one of the coolest deer sheds that I have. I probably, I'd have to have a significant amount of money to let that one go. And then I have a little deer set that I picked up in Nevada that's just like the heaviest little buck I've ever seen. Just has baseball bat kind of mass on both sides and he drop time. And he's not really worth enough for me to ever sell just because he's so cool. I have right. a little pile of deer antlers and I have some elk antlers I never should have sold. Um, I have a drop time um, single off of like a 350 class bull that has 11 inch drop time. Oh, wow. And then his other side was an inline eight point. I should have kept that set, but I sold him. <laughs> well, I tell you what, there, there's more that. out there, right? Yeah, that's the way I always feel. Like, I'll find another one. Gotcha. So, are there any particular places that you would love to shed hunt but haven't yet? Yeah, like, I've never, over, really overall. Got, never been able to get into the moose as right. much as I want to. Um, I've never, well, I've never picked up a moose yet. I would love to pick up a moose yet. And I've actually kind of been scheming and talking and looking at, at trying to figure out how to do a trip to Alaska to go pick up those big Yukon moose paddles. Oh yeah. Fly in and either float them out or fly them out. But I don't know if logistically it's going to happen. That's what I would love to do is pick up moose sheds. Right. I wonder if, uh, people go as create you know logistically you can you can almost drive anywhere and hike in uh in anywhere in the lower 48 out west you know within whether it's with horses or you're you're gonna take a day hike to get into 
some shed hunting area, but out in Alaska, I would assume that, uh, it's, it's not even possible to do a hike. You'd have to be dropped in somewhere or, uh, take a boat. Yeah, for sure. That's what you probably have to end up chartering a little plane. Now there are some areas that they do like float trips where you fly in and then you float out and you end up back at civilization. I thought about something like that, but I'll just have to see if that could be the case. I know a lot of guys, I've seen some YouTube videos and stuff of guys flying them out there and finding them from the airplane and GPS and them. Then they go find a little place to land and go pick them up and then they strap them to the wings. And, uh, That's nuts. Home. That's nuts. Cool, man. Well, hopefully when this, uh, Hopefully when this band rolls up in uh, April, you can go out and uh, I got some, I got some buddies out in uh, Wisconsin. They call shed hunting scooping. They just bend over, scoop them up. They don't even stop. Just go right on to the next one. And uh, so that's what I kind of, that's kind of stuck with me. So we call it, we call it scooping around here. So hopefully you can uh, get out and scoop up some more, uh, some more sheds in April. Well, I hope so too, man. I hope we have some found by then. And I don't know, maybe if anything, maybe this band will let the animals kind of hang out. We'll get some more maps set side by side. I don't know. We'll just have to see. Right, right. Ben, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for uh, chatting with me for an hour. Yeah, you bet. That was a lot of fun. For sure. And uh, if uh, if I'm ever out in the area, you'll have to let me tag along. I'm inviting myself, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, invite yourself. Come on out. We'll go do it. I'll trade you for a trip to the Whitetail Woods. Oh, hell yeah. I'll do that. All right, man. Well, I tell you what, thanks again, and uh, good luck in April. Okay, man. I appreciate it. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Ben for coming on the podcast and chatting with us today. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time to listen. Huge shout out to the partners, Exodus ripcord and deer lab be sure to go check out all those companies and uh if you haven't already check me out on facebook check me out on twitter check me out on instagram uh send me an email if you want to be on the podcast if you have an awesome hunter profile you know somebody that would be a good hunter profile you want to do a product a couple product reviews or if you just want to BS with me, I can do that too. So uh, also go to iTunes and leave a review uh, if you like this podcast. Other than that, I think we're done here today. And uh, have a great rest of your day. And uh, pretty sure I'll have a podcast out on Friday. And then it's the weekend. And then we can get back in the timber and shed hunt. Have a good one. Oh, I almost forgot. Wear your damn safety harness. Hey guys, if you're still listening, do me a favor and go check out the National Deer Alliance and sign up to become a member. It's free and it helps support deer, mule deer, whitetails all over the nation. Uh, For more information, go to the National Deer Alliance website, visit their Facebook page and uh, check them out. Thank you.